Welcome to the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society. Welcome to ITSP Magazine. You're listening to a new Securing Bridges podcast. You're about to join Alyssa Miller as she sits down with senior and executive security leaders to share stories of success and failure while working across business teams. It's time to build and secure the bridge to the business. Knowledge is power, now more than ever. Hey, Securing Bridges faithful, how are you? This is episode 28. Now, if you saw my tweet before, I said episode 27, I was wrong. You know I can't keep this stuff straight. I don't know how many of these shows I've done. I've done a lot of them. And every single time, it is just a blast. We have amazing guests. If you didn't catch last week's, make sure you go back. Go back two weeks. We did an episode without a guest because that happens sometimes too. But amazing people. Week after week, we have covered so many topics across such a wide variety of areas of security and how we connect security to the non-security folks. How do we build those bridges and secure those bridges? That's what we're all about here. So we've got another great episode lined up for today. I am super, super excited. I am not going to lie. I did circle this date on my calendar when I found out who my guest was going to be because it is one of my favorite, favorite people, not just in InfoSec, but in all the world. Without further ado, we've got Leslie Carhart with us. Hey, Leslie, how are you? I am hanging in there. How about you? I'm kind of the same. (laughs) Trying to to keep a smile on my face. It's been an interesting week, but, uh, you know, we're here. We're living. It's good to see you. It is great to see you, too. So I, I have a hard time imagining anybody watching doesn't know you, but maybe they don't. So let's not assume, let's not be presumptuous. They might be tuning in later. Maybe they don't know who this Leslie person is. So can you go ahead and introduce yourself a little bit? Hi, I'm Leslie. Nice to meet y'all. I'm director of incident response at a company called Dragos. I do cybersecurity on industrial critical infrastructure systems. I've been doing this for a decade and a half, IT for probably 25 years now. Um, I was in the Air Force. I retired last year from from the reserves. That's pretty cool. Um, And I I do a lot of stuff and I I talk on on social networks about cybersecurity a lot. Uh, I speak a lot about things and I'm generally a nuisance. I think that's the the summary. (laughs) Maybe a nuisance to some, but I think kind of a I won't say hero because that that implies other things, but definitely I think somebody that people love to hear from and I love to hear from. So before we dive in, we'll get into the ICS stuff, but I got to start first with the handle, right? The hacks for pancakes thing. And I swore I would do this because I still have people ask me, how did they come up with that handle? What, you know, which I thought everybody kind of knew and I know it's kind of a, it's a, Cute little story. So can you share just where that that handle comes from? Yeah, you know, you know when you got your your friends and they really want you to help them move, and they're like, I don't want to hire movers, and they're like, I come over, I'll give you some pizza and move my couch. Um, it, it's that's uh, that's moves for pizza and um, hacks for pancakes. I do a lot. Of, it's self deprecating humor. I do a lot of volunteer work. I work a lot of resume and hiring clinics. I uh, go to and work at a lot of. Uh, smaller community cons and events and things like that. And um, just just kept getting paid in pancakes. So I'm hacks for pancakes now. 
see, but this is why I like to tell that story too, because it does go to the heart of one of the many reasons why I just adore you so much, <laughs> which I'm sorry, I'm like fawning right now. But oh. seriously though, I honestly, that that is one of the first things as I first started to get to know you was just the level to which you, you're focused on like just being good to people and like, you know, doing good things for people, helping out in areas where help is needed. And I just, it, it shines through with you that that's like a really important part of who you are. I, I appreciate that. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, the bottom line is not a lot of people helped me coming up and um, I appreciate the couple people who did, but I had to work really, really hard to get where I'm at. I had to shut my mouth about things I didn't want to shut my mouth about. I had to do some less than pleasant stuff to get to where I am today. And, you know, had a lot of people and organizations really mistreated me. And I'm not going to ever want to be one of those people who's like, well, it sucked for me, so it should suck for you. No, that's horrible. I don't want anybody else to not be able to find a mentor or get screwed over by a company or not get an interview when they should get an interview for BS reasons. So of course, of course, I try to commit as much of my time as I can to making sure people don't have to go through the same things. And see, and that's, you know, I've heard people refer to that as, you know, lowering the ladder, so to speak, which is kind of a, I don't know, not my favorite metaphor for it, but it, it gets the point across. And that is, hey, you know what, I've worked hard to get where I'm at. I've had, you know, maybe some fortunate breaks or something that helped me along the way, whatever, but I'm in a spot now where I have some level of privilege to help others who, you know, need someone to give them that hand up. And I think we've all kind of had some level. I mean, you mentioned a few people. I mean, is there anyone that stands out that like particularly, wow, that was like a really big moment? Yeah. So the first boss that I ever had that was really good, I, I you know, I, I worked some crummy startups and things and, and just had some bad experiences with management in and out of the military. And the first boss that I really had that cared a lot about his team and really went above and beyond to be a servant leader, um, he was phenomenal. And he gave me my first real shot at doing dedicated security work. Um, so, so yeah. Yeah, I mean, you remember those exceptional figures throughout your career who actually care about your well-being and care about you being successful and are happy when you move on to something bigger and better. Yeah, I and that's a really interesting point, right? And I, I think, you know, I don't know for you. For me, a lot of, the, there's a certain motivation of like, I, I'll call it legacy, um, you know, for lack of a better thing. It, to me, it, it, it's really exciting to know or to get that confirmation from time to time that I did something that like made that impact on somebody else. Because like yeah. you, I've got that, you know, I've got those people in my past too, who kind of did that one thing, believed in me or gave me an opportunity or helped me grow or whatever. And it's, it's hard to, to understate how, or to overstate rather how important that is. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And uh, yeah, that's really memorable, especially, you know, when you think about the people who had that impact on your life, and then also you hear from other people that you had an impact on their life. Sometimes it's over something really small too, you know, like, I'm like, 
I don't remember that conversation we had seven years ago, but I'm really glad it helped you. And it's like, we were sitting at the bar. You inspired me to do X, Y, Z. And I'm like, I'm glad. I don't, I'm sorry. I don't remember, but I'm really, really glad that it helped, you know? So yeah, little well, things matter. It doesn't always have to be something big, right? I mean, yeah. it's, sometimes it is just that little thing or that one thing you say that clicks for somebody. So yep. uh, it's, it, it, and I, I would love if we could get more people in this industry to kind of get that message because he mentioned like that, that attitude of, well, I had to suffer through this and that. So everybody should have to suffer through this and that. We're so bad about that, especially, you know, like even, even diverse groups that are underrepresented in, in, in cybersecurity, we do it to ourselves. We eat ourselves, you know, like it's like I had to fight so hard to get here and everybody was horrible to me. So you should have to go through the same thing. Absolutely not. You should be able to go speak about cybersecurity and sparkly shoes and a dress and, or like, regardless of your gender. And uh, yeah. you should be able to, you know, wear your utilicate and alt clothes and your piercings and your tattoos. And that should be fine too. Or you should be able to wear a business suit. Like whoever you are, you should be welcome in cybersecurity. We need people and it's a great field to be in. And we shouldn't be like, well, I was in a odd group and I had a hard time getting in. So everybody else like me should have to suffer the same way. What's the point of that? That's not how you teach people. We know that. We know better now. Like there's other ways to learn. And in an industry that's like, sorry, but desperate for people and yeah. with skill, it's like, why, why would we try to do things to keep people out? That's the part I never understood. It's nuts. It's absolutely nuts. So, well, I love that part of the work you've been doing. I know, you know, we, we, I work for a conference that you've been a part of as far as, you know, like resume village and stuff and the, or we'll just call it career village in general. Yeah. Um, I, I think you actually don't, that it wasn't what we termed it, but regardless, I mean, just, you know, those things that we can do at conferences and other places, helping people out really, really matters. So. Absolutely. So, Another thing that I know is a part of your mission that you, you talked about as you're introducing yourself. And part of the thing I really wanted to dig in here too, because it, it, we don't get to talk about it as much in cybersecurity, other than that it's like this big scary thing, is that idea of critical infrastructure and ICS, right? I, it's one of those, I don't think a lot of people really understand the landscape there. We, we talk about it as this big scary thing. We start to think about utilities or maybe manufacturing, but... I mean, first of all, I think it's broader than that. And second of all, mm. we could probably use more perspective. Yeah, so let me just start with some concepts here. So there are industrial networks powering our whole society today. And when we talk about industrial control systems, we're not necessarily talking about digital systems. They can be mechanical or analog systems as well. But regardless of whether they're digital or not, our water coming out of our pipes, our transportation and logistic systems, things like trains, our packaging and just-in-time manufacturing and shipping systems, our power, our oil and gas, our food production, and in you know big agribusiness, that's that's all powered by these industrial control system type devices, and usually some combination of digital systems, analog systems, etc., and Ultimately, they are controlling all these physical kinetic things in the world around us, and they do really important stuff. And 
us as most of the people watching this are probably in North America or Europe. And in our societies, our privileged lives, most of these things never fail. When they fail, it's for a short period of time and we gripe a lot and then it's up and running again. We're kind of used to power outages, but not long ones. We know what to do then because we, so we kind of, when we talk about critical infrastructure, we're like, oh, the power is going to go out because it's the only thing we know. But in other parts of the world where people are less privileged, they do know what it's like for your sewage to stop working and go backwards or your water to not be drinkable for months or years at a time. And those are things that we're concerned about in the industrial cybersecurity space because bad people have figured out that they can do those for a multitude of reasons to advance geopolitical causes, to um, get money, to extort money, just ransom type stuff, and to build footholds to do stuff later. It's very profitable. So if you're not thinking about consequences of what happens when these industrial networks are compromised or tampered with or fail, you should really start thinking about that because it's part of being a good cybersecurity person to start thinking about consequences and risk in the world around you. And a lot of people aren't thinking about these industrial networks. So I know when a lot of people talk about ICS, I, I think there's there's like a, a commonly held stereotype that, you know, we're talking about systems that are always built on old technology. They're always out of date and whatever. And, you know, they're, they're full of vulnerabilities and they need all this, you know, white glove, super special treatment. Is that a fair characterization or is that maybe just one aspect of it? That is a fair characterization of a lot of industrial networks, but for good reason, not because people have been slacking off or they're overly paranoid. These systems have really long life cycles and you buy them as a package. So it's like going out and buying IBM in the 70s. Like you, if you go out and buy the, the industrial control devices for a power plant, you buy a package and it's got many levels of technologies, layers of technologies. So it's got the computers that you use to interface with the system all the way down to things like actuators and sensors and things like that. So simple electronic devices and the PLCs and with the ruggedized embedded computers, things like that. So they all come as a package and they're all vetted and verified to work reliably together. Because if they don't, that's a really big deal, right? When you hit the red stop button on the wall of your factory, it has to work. You can't add like a bunch of whizbing cybersecurity stuff to it. It has to work when you hit the button right away. So these systems are made to be simple. They're made to last for a long time, be super resilient and durable. And it's not easy to replace one part of them because they are vetted and warranted and designed to work as a unit. So, like if there's a Windows XP computer and they're doing something critical and it has drivers to interface with the lower level devices, you can't necessarily easily go in there without voiding your warranty and causing risk and swap it out with a Windows 11 computer. You just can't. So it's the nature of these systems. They, How I describe them in a lot of my talks is there's a crispy candy outside, hopefully, and then a squishy gooey center where the devices are relatively vulnerable because they're very simple. Um, you hear about these vulnerabilities in these industrial devices, and it's like, yeah, they're vulnerable because they do exactly what they're told to do. They're very, very simple. Um, once you're in that industrial network, once you get in there and it's not segmented off, well, there is a lot of damage you can do if you know how the system and the process works. So I think what's really interesting here, and this is this is why this fits so great for this show and why uh, one of the other reasons I'm really excited to have you here is... 
it's a unique conversation. I think that a lot of security people miss, right? Because most of us were used to just patch your shit, right? That's that's the infamous line. Yeah. You hear it from top levels of government all the way down. Just patch your stuff. Well, you're dealing with people, you know, and well, and before I go there, we even get, so we get kind of just used to that, right? Everybody can update their technology. And if you're not updating your technology, you're doing it wrong. And, you know, legacy systems are this horrible thing, but you are talking to people who understand a very different perspective of that technology mm -hmm. as you just described it and who don't really come from a world of not only think about cybersecurity, they're not even thinking about the technology as like the mainstay of their business. So how do you kind of bring that conversation to them then? Yeah, it's got to be really collaborative because you're never going to know as much about the process as they know, and they're never going to know as much about cybersecurity as as you know, so you've got to work together. It's really got to be a collaborative discussion. You've got to have an open dialogue. You've got to listen to one another because in the end, it all comes down to consequences. And we're really bad for some reason in cybersecurity with measuring consequences when we're talking about risk. Like we do so much of our cybersecurity in a vacuum. It's like, we're going to go threat hunt for this current CVE or something. That doesn't fly in industrial. What they are going to care about in terms of you doing things to their environment is actual consequences. And it's there's this is the wild thing. It's possible that your cybersecurity could cause worse consequences than an adversary. Because think about what happens if you make the system unsafe and there's a risk to life and safety by you installing security tools or doing scanning you're not supposed to do. Or if you want to shut things down to patch or remove malware and it costs $14 million to shut down a day, which was going to cost more? Was it going to be having configure on those systems forever? Or was it going to be you shutting down at $14 million a day? So it's all got to come back to these consequences. What would really matter in that industrial environment? What do you really care about as a business? And what could cause those consequences? Because it could be intentional or unintentional due to cybersecurity stuff. You might have already thought about it from a, like a safety human operator standpoint, a maintenance issue standpoint. And then finally, you might cause those same consequences yourself by trying to do your cybersecurity thing in a vacuum. So start there to have good conversations. It's really incredible to, to think about it because I mean, the perspective that so many of us have, again, you know, coming from realms of, you know, where we're really tied into the technology and whatever. Yeah, we think about stability and whatever, but we also have things like outage windows and, and we don't we don't really consider what you just described, you know, the, this idea that, yeah, you know what, maybe having some type of security vulnerability or even some type of compromise might not be the worst thing that could happen to this business. Stopping my line for five minutes in a warehouse, like a, you know, say an Amazon distribution center or something, that's going to have tremendous impact in mm -hmm. terms of dollars and cents. And at the end of the day, the language of business is revenue. And if you're costing us revenue, that's going to be a problem. So with that in mind, I'm kind of curious. How to, so think about like, you know, certain pipeline issues that have stemmed from ransomware or, you know, shipping organizations that were shut down because of ransomware. Have those things changed how you have the conversations with some of these organizations when you're talking to them about securing their infrastructure? 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there is more awareness of these industrial cybersecurity risks than there were previously. These high profile news cases have certainly made more companies invest in cybersecurity and ask questions about it, but it's a big journey. It's really hard to start from scratch in an entirely new realm of cybersecurity where you have to do everything differently. You have to do penetration testing differently. You have to do incident response and incident response planning totally different. So it's it's tough. It really is tough. And yeah, people are launching into it. They're more aware. There is interesting research from ICS vendors uh, into doing more cybersecurity on their side of things. But again, with a 30-year life cycle for some of these systems, it's going to be a while till we see some of that stuff in real life. Are they changing? Are you seeing like they, they change their architecture at all to make it more flexible or like give them a better ability to respond? So that's one of the best things that an organization can do is try to architect around segmentation and a perimeter around their industrial network. Things have gotten more and more connected into IT and into the internet and into the cloud and these industrial networks because it's cheap and easy. And it's it's much simpler than rolling your own whatever to, to use Cisco and use Windows and connect things via remote access protocols and things like that. That saves money, it saves time. And of course, organizations are doing it. But what we really have to think about is how can we work around not being able to install new whizbang cybersecurity tools like EDR and XDR? And that that usually is, is talking about passive monitoring and architecture. So how are you going to do things passively in the environment in terms of detecting threats and vulnerabilities and things like that? And then also, how are you going to make that crispy candy outside so people don't get to the squishy center? That's that's really that's really the critical key there. So you've got to have those conversations with the operators and engineers and about the consequences and understanding where risk lies. And then you've got to start talking about how can we build around this fragile thing that we cannot shut down? So, well, I, so that's an interesting conversation. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, that that's kind of where I think some of the almost like NERC-SIP are fo focused, right? I mean, it's really yeah. how do we build those different layers? Hardening, segmentation. Mm-hmm. So remote access control, that's a big one. Oh, first. Oh, that, and that's one I think early on, but well, early on, but you know, I mean, I guess years ago, that was one of the ones that got missed a lot. I think was we started mm -hmm. to understand just you, even your vendors having to have like back in the day, I don't know if this still exists, but it was a dial up modem, like connected yeah. to whatever device. And so people were war dialing and finding these devices and that absolutely it, it's, I don't think people always understood that concept either within the security space. And it was foreign to us that that would be like a normal SOP. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and those modems are still out there to a great extent. I've had to do some cases involving modems and call panels. Um, and then you also have things that are starting to collect to cloud, connect to cloud for things like historian data from the process. And then there's a lot more connectivity into the IT networks too, because People are collecting more metrics. They're doing a lot more remote access since the pandemic. And there's a lot more holes in what used to be pretty sturdy firewall barriers in the DMZ. They're starting to punch more holes in them. So that's that's increasing the, the threat landscape. So is that now, is like data analytics becoming a part of that then too, where they're using more of that capability to say like, monitor performance of a particular system, a manufacturing line or something like that? Is that now, like we see that growing everywhere else 
when you say yeah. cloud and you say, you know, monitor, I start to think of that. Is that, are you seeing that become a part of it too? So people misuse the term SCADA with ICS. So ICS is just an industrial control system. We've had them for hundreds and hundreds of years. It could be a water wheel turning a mill at a certain time and then stopping when it's supposed to. So it automates a process. Um, but what they found over the years is that you have something called control loops. And a control loop, um, to describe a really simple one, think about a revolving door, one of those automatic ones where you walk in the door and it turns around. Okay, so there's got to be three different things that are existing in that door to make that happen. There's firstly a motor that makes the door turn. But you also have, you have to have a sensor that detects whether you're in the door or not. So it tells it to turn when you're in the door. But then you also have to have a computer, a controller that makes those decisions. So when the door senses that somebody's in the door, then it tells the motor to turn. And if you run into it, it stops the door. So there's a computer making those simple logic decisions. So that's a control loop. One control loop, pretty easy to control mechanically, analog, et cetera. You have a hundred of them in a manufacturing assembly line or running a train or something, you need a big computer to synchronize all those control loops so that they all happen at the same time so that your conveyor belt you know, gets the boxes dropped on it at the right time and then the conveyor belt moves and then they get sealed, et cetera, et cetera. So we brought in things like DCS and SCADA to be those overarching controls for a bunch of components of an industrial control system. And yeah, we're, it, we're getting more and more efficient all the time. And that includes collecting lots of historian data and analytics and processing how these facilities are functioning together and all the different control loops are working together and whether the timing can be changed. And yet, of course, that people wanna utilize the cloud and data analytics and machine learning for that. Of course they do, because they want more and more efficiency. So Phil asked an interesting question here as well, um, kind of related to this, uh, asking about S95. And you know, what does that, how does that play yeah. into this? I mean, every every little bit helps. I mean, and it, it depends on your environment. It depends on how isolated it is. It depends on how segmented it is. Possibly, yeah, it's something to consider. Absolutely. Okay. So it feels to me like, it, like everything. There, there's no one silver bullet. There's no silver help. bullet. There really isn't. I mean, there there's there's the the one silver bullet that I can give anybody out there who's got a industrial environment or building automation environment that they're responsible for is start having conversations and listen. Listen to the operators and engineers. Find out what they're worried about. Find out how they're doing things because if you jump on all over them, you're going to ruin your relationship and they're never going to want to do anything for cybersecurity ever again. So. It, it, and I, I mean, this goes to a point, you know, I. It gets discussed here a lot on this show, and it, I think it's getting more and more discussion just in the security space in general. And that is that whole idea of we don't really do our job well if we don't understand the business side of things, right? And I think what ICS highlights for us in a whole new way, because it's a little bit more of an extreme example, is just the need to really have some empathy or at least some capability to sit down and understand here's the elements that are actually most important to us from a business. And the reason you exist, Mr. Or Miss, or, you know, whatever cybersecurity person is to make sure that business keeps running. You're not here 
to you know achieve some ideal state of cybersecurity perfectness. You're here to make sure that we keep our business going. And I think I can only imagine the the level of compromises in the sense of give and take, not in the sense of someone being exposed, yeah. um, that have to go on in a scenario like that. Yeah, it's it's tough. It, bringing in somebody new, not only is there a divergence in skills now because we do so much legacy stuff, but just changing your thinking is so drastic. You know, we, we are so used to doing security in a vacuum from threat hunting to monitoring to incident response. And here you've got to completely shift your thinking to consequences and adapting to things you absolutely cannot do in the environment. There are just going to be things like, again, installing an agent, installing XDR that you cannot do in those environments. And we rely on them heavily in modern cybersecurity, but it's okay. I mean, we, we can adapt. We just have to get a little creative. There's other solutions for these problems. Well, it'll only take 2% CPU. It'll be fine. <laughs> Out of your 16 megs of RAM on your embedded Windows XP computer. Yeah. Right. And, and that's, and again, that's where it's easy for us in cybersecurity to lose that context. That like yeah. oh, these systems are not, they're not your typical laptops or desktops or phones that I'm sorry, no matter what, probably have way more capacity than you're ever using anyway. So yeah, 2% of processor might not be mm -hmm. a big deal. Pretty wild, right? Oh God! I mean, I, I think of back in my consulting days working with a you know a power company on the East Coast, and the the issues that came up when you know they had a, they had antivirus on certain systems, but they always turned off the you know the the big scan right the mm -hmm. periodic scans. It was just on demand stuff, and I remember that one time someone somehow enabled you know that scan and it ran and it yeah predictably it destroyed the resources and and eventually shut down an entire, oh uh, not a substation, I forget what they call it, but because this is not my, this is definitely not my area mm. of strong suit, but, and, and so, you know, I think for us, you know, maybe that's a, a message more of us need to hear. Maybe we need to do that more on the IT side of things. Why aren't we being more efficient? Why aren't we thinking about consequences? I think that the people involved in safety at real kinetic processes have always been pretty good at that because they think about what things could go wrong in terms of a human error or a maintenance error. They think about that all the time. That's how they do their business continuity planning and things like that, their risk assessments. And we don't really do that well in IT cybersecurity, you know, thinking about, hey, what would the worst day ever for this organization really look like? And what could cause that? What are things that are realistic causes, hazards that would lead to that terrible day ever and then what mitigations are in place that's that's a tough conversation well and it, it's that risk management conversation right i mean and this is i almost feel like god this is such a weird thought but i always want to like take people in cybersecurity and, and put them put everybody through their time spent in the world that you're living in because yeah. i think you you know, what I'm learning even just in this conversation is like that forces you to really understand the true nature of risk management and how you look at, well, here's, you know, what the business is. This is what we do. This is how we make money and stay in business and keep our people employed. Yeah. Here's the cybersecurity impact to that. And you know what? Sometimes risk acceptance just has to happen. 
Yeah, it's tough. It's, <laughs> you know, it's a real shift in thinking. And I, I don't see any security programs out there except for the industrial cybersecurity programs teaching it either. So, yeah. Well, so I had a comment up there before from Damien, and you know he's talking about uh, you know, ultimately security's job is to enable the business to move faster, and mm -hmm. I agree with that. And I, honestly, that's the whole reason why this show exists initially, right? That was the initial thought, and it's definitely broadened even more since then. So you know, he says you know he used to do this, and it fell on deaf ears. I think we're starting to see that shift more and more, but I, I just there's a long way to go. And I don't know, do you have thoughts on how we get people to start seeing cybersecurity through that lens rather than, you know, more, you know, less of this oversight function and more of like a more part of the team. I, I don't think I've got a magical answer for that one either. You know, that's something that we've got to convey in the way we teach and our certification programs and our meetups and our talks, you know, those of us who have been doing this for a long time and know this truth of, you know, you're part of the team, you're not, everybody comes into cybersecurity and they're like, patch everything, you know, patch, scan everything, patch everything, no problem. The problem's going to be solved. None of us, have, we, we've all tried that. None of us have solved security yet. It's been a long time. It's been, it's been several decades and none of us over here have, have managed to do that. So maybe there's something else going on. Uh, maybe, Maybe we need to consider this as a more holistic problem. Um, and so that means that we, we really have to start thinking about security as just one element of making a business run. And that's much more visible in the ICS space. So if you have an opportunity to spend some time working in the ICS cybersecurity space, I'd highly recommend it because it does force you into that model of thinking of, wow, I am part of making these widgets without anybody getting burnt by molten metal, you know, it's like very tangible things. And that can be hard in, in a IT world where you're thinking about numbers that are unfathomable amounts of money and, uh, you know, business in a vacuum that you're not attached to. Uh, when there's a process like manufacturing or utility, it's very, very visible what something going wrong would look like. And it really helps you start thinking that way. So you, you're talking about people getting into the IC space, ICS space if they can and spending some time there. Yeah. Uh, Phil brings up an interesting question then, a perfectly timed for this is, you know, obviously we need a lot of talent in there. How, how does someone even, how do you get started in this? Yeah, I mean, Draegers, we do this exclusively and we have an interesting mix of talent uh, from weird backgrounds. Everybody has weird backgrounds. A lot of ex-military people, people who spend some time working at utilities doing a variety of things, not necessarily IT or security. Um, you know, just, just a mix of people who are good at cybersecurity, but they're also a capable of understanding and being interested in understanding a lot of processes and the, the electrical engineering, chemical engineering, you know, mechanical engineering components of that. And you've really got to be willing to learn those things. You've got every, every week for us is an episode of how stuff works. Like there's <laughs> always going to be something new. It's like, I, I remember my colleague was just studying for a while, how egg packaging works and what can go wrong in egg packaging. I spent a long time learning how fertilizer is made. Um, yeah. I mean, it, it's, it's, you have to understand these things at a high level. You've got to be willing to listen and learn and learn about how, all these things happen 
and and really con commit time to that on top of knowing how cybersecurity works. And uh, that that's not for everybody, definitely, but it can be very interesting if you like to learn stuff and you like to learn how the world works. Uh, it's just it's just going to take a little more effort than just you know doing traditional like MSSP SOC type monitoring. I actually love that you brought up that show, How It's Made, because I love that show. I, you know, like a lot of us in this industry, you know, I got started as a hacker because I just had like an interest in knowing how things work. Yeah. Boy, does that just shed like a whole different light on, on this industry in terms of ICS security? It's like, well, wait, here's a really cool opportunity to just see how things are made and how this stuff actually functions. But yeah, I mean, if you want to get into the space, I, I I know not every entry level job is really asking for you to know a ton about industrial control systems and know a ton about um, cybersecurity as well. But if you are seeing these requirements, I mean, your normal cybersecurity background is fine. I think that if you have some background in working something that's not a cybersecurity job, you know, related to an industrial field like transportation or um, manufacturing or medical device you know, whatever, it, that's going to be a huge bonus. And you should start thinking about if you could fit into this niche. And if you don't have that background, you know, you're going to have to pick something, you're going to have to pick a vertical and a set of technology to learn about. Uh, don't try to learn all ICS. ICS is a huge field. The technologies in electric are entirely different than the technologies in rail, and they're entirely different than the ones in oil and gas. So if you want to start delving into learning about ICS security, you're going to have to pick some process that you're interested in learning about, maybe power generation in the United States, you know, just pick something and focus on it. And that's actually an interesting point too, because I think a lot of people do, you know, you mentioned SCADA before, and I think a lot of people kind of just lump everything into, like you were saying, SCADA. And yeah. so they don't realize how different it is when you're dealing with things like switches and sensors yeah. versus dealing with like train controls and things like that. Like, totally. Yeah. And I sound like an idiot even as I'm saying all this because I don't even know what half this stuff is called. You're absolutely but, right, though. Oh, uh, so that that is like really cool, and I, I think that that does you know that that speaks to maybe hopefully some people who hadn't thought of this before is like maybe this is a really cool area to get into. Yeah. Um, what about on the regulation side? Do you have? I mean, how much do you get impacted like that? Like I mentioned NERCSIP before because that's one I know from my past. But I would think like OSHA's got to come in here. Um, you know, when you're in medical devices, I mean, the FDA. Mm. How does yes, all come in? Somewhat, there? not a ton. You know, it's kind of grown over the last few years. And this is Leslie talking, not my employer or anything. Some of the legislation has been pretty reactive, um, which means instead of really thinking through the problems, in a lot of cases, it was like, you must do the CPCI type stuff. And we know how well that always works. So, um, when you don't provide more resources and more people and more money for people to do cybersecurity, if you tell them to do a bunch more stuff, then they they're going to cut something else out. So, um, yeah, we've seen we've seen a lot of legislation come into place beyond NERCSIP, you know, especially around incident reporting. And then some of the stuff has been reactive in a way where I don't know if it's actually going to provide a, a useful benefit to to those operators and engineers in the end. Uh, it's a mix. I mean, people are definitely more aware of the problem and they're starting to tackle it from all angles, from a manufacturing perspective and from a legislative perspective and organizational and support perspective in things like CISA and the National Guard. But 
there's a lot of different approaches and we're going to have to see what actually works to provide utilities the tools they need because it's very different securing an oil multi-billion dollar company versus a water utility that's got 5,000 subscribers. So, Wow. I mean, and this is just the immense nature of all this. And I assume like in so many areas, the technology has got to still be crazy evolving as we, you know, kind of connect more and more of this. Uh, how has that impacted kind of what you've seen in the last 15 years? Oh, gosh. Um, I mean, I question, but. <laughs> this problem actually preceded, like, you know, you see the same issues coming up in like smart home systems over the last five years, the same, mm -hmm. the same issues that we're facing now with industrial systems. Um, industrial systems had those problems first. Um, they have for some time. There, there's been the issue of connecting the systems from the 1980s, 1990s to the internet and to each other. And starting to tunnel protocols over Ethernet instead of having them be serial protocols. This has been a growing issue for quite some time. Um, it's just been one that's kind of flown under the radar. Um, and it's been exacerbated by things like the pandemic and things being more remotely accessible, certainly. And uh, yeah, I mean, in a lot of ways, other problems that we're seeing in cybersecurity right now are, are just mirror images or, or, or shadows of this that, that are, are new, but we've seen these problems already in ICS. So last question then, because you kind of brought it up, you brought up like, you know, the, the, in the smart home stuff and, and I'll kind of lump that into a, a grossly inaccurate generalization of IOT in general. Right. But I feel like a lot of IOT is kind of, adopting some of the ideas of what we're doing yeah. industrial controls. Do you see any of that having like a backflow effect where maybe some of the things that they're doing in those spaces are impacting industrial controls in some way, or is it more just kind of the, they're like the, the shrunken down version of what you might do in an ICS world? Yeah, the, the IIoT and IoT spaces are just basket cases across the board. And yeah, we're seeing more IoT. We specifically call it industrial or IIoT, industrial Internet of Things devices popping up in industrial facilities. And they're just as bad as they are everywhere else. I mean, lightweight devices with simple protocol stacks based on commercial technology. So they're super vulnerable. There's a lot of issues with them. And yeah, that, that problem is prevalent in industrial as well. Oh, that makes sense. Well, unfortunately, we've reached that time already where oh my God. we got to wrap things up. But this has been absolutely incredible. I, I'm so glad you came on today. And I I love the uh, the chat has been awesome. I mean, I've been watching people. I didn't get to even a quarter of the comments that are in there. Sorry. But um, it's good Sorry, to see Hey, you know what? I think there's a lot of value in this because this is an area that doesn't get a lot of conversation in just day to day, at least not to this detail. I think it's very misunderstood and I really appreciate you bringing some of that light to it today. Thanks, Alyssa. Cool. Well, everybody, that's it. That's all the time we've got today, but appreciate you all tuning in. Um, you know, once again, I just, I, I can't thank you enough for your support. Remember, if you know an organization who might be interested in being a part of our message here on Securing Bridges, please reach out, let me know. 
Um, we're always looking to, to partner with great folks. Um, as well, let me know if you got someone you think would be a great guest. I'm always all ears to hear who would be a good guest to get on the show. I'm always looking for new ideas, new people. I know some people around the industry, but I don't know everybody, and I want to know lots more. So uh, always be sure to reach out. Next week, we have a great guest lined up for you. As always, I'm looking forward to this one as well. Uh, that will be episode 29. I cannot believe we're at 29 already. So uh, just like every week, you know, according to this episode, will be available immediately after the show. Feel free to share that, please, with friends, neighbors, whoever, colleagues, uh, maybe enemies. I don't know. Hey, you know, do you do you. But uh, podcasts will be available in a couple days, audio format, all your usual favorite places, Google, Apple, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So until next time, thank you again so much for tuning in. Thank you, Leslie, for being on. And we'll see you here on Securing Bridges. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Securing Bridges podcast with Alyssa Miller. If you learned something new and this podcast made you think, then share ITSPMagazine.com with your friends, family, and colleagues. If you represent a company and wish to associate your brand with our conversations, sponsor one or more of our podcast channels. We hope you will come back for more stories and follow us on our journey. You can always find us at the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society.